0: All right, we're live. We're recording. We're on. Love.
1: I feel well, like we need a uh, like a some sort of sign on. Well,
0: this is the Na-poo. officially the second episode, but the first attempt at what I guess we're calling "After the Hunt" podcast, which is really the main goal of this podcast is talking about the hunts that we go on and giving more detail and background.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think. Uh, I think, the, you know, the main goal is, like, learning, giving out, like, takeaways and kind of sharing those. Um, hopefully, th- this is, like, pretty informative to people. Uh, and I think every hunt we have, like, we there are takeaways. There are, there are lessons learned in every hunt. Um, so, I think this kind of gives the opportunity to dig a little bit deeper into that, talk about the things we learned, and hopefully, uh, you know, it helps the people kind of tuning into this stuff. So, you just came back from a hunt. You're in full camo and bibs <laughs> sitting on my couch. I am. I'm finally after a deer. I thought <clears throat> I thought this might be
0: the season that I go all year without hunting a buck for the first time in a very long time. But thanks to you for letting me hunt one of your spots that we've been running cameras at like all year finally had that buck show back up about a week ago. And so I hunted, I think he showed up last Thursday, I hunted Friday morning, and then I had to go out of town for the weekend. And of course, 15 minutes after I left, he showed up right in front of my stand, broad daylight at like 10 o'clock in the morning, and then showed up th- either three or four more times in daylight over that set Friday, Saturday,
1: Sunday. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Like, you know how many times we've anticipated like, oh, it's done. One sit, done. It literally never, ever, ever, ever goes that way. No, I mean you. You would think that deer showing up late season, two days in a row, he'd start to get consistent, and then it's like, eh, yeah, I'm just gonna go, you know, meander somewhere else for a while while yeah. you're here.
0: I I think that he's already on to my access. You think so? I think he's bedding up on top of the hill and just watching me walk in because I've, I mean, I've seen every other deer in there. Yeah. Every other buck that's been on my camera and. He's been. He's still coming in, but now he's coming in at, at night. And so I, I just have to think that he's sitting up on top of that ridge just watching me walk in. So I'm going to move my stand tomorrow and Change back it up. up. I'm going to back it up closer to the house. Mm-hmm. And just that way I only walk in 20 yards, 30 yards from it, the house. It, it, that spot lays out tough because it's like it's a straight hill up from the house. And so all he has to do is get up on top of that ridge. He's he, eye-level. He can see everything. Yeah.
1: Um, it's kind of interesting, interesting that like these, I mean, that deer has been gone for two months. I mean, he's been gone since probably September and it's, it's crazy how these deer, like, I don't care where you are in the country that these deer have their summer ranges and then they'll just be like, poof, gone. And you think they're like dead. Someone's killed them. They're, you know, hit by a car whatever. And then it's just like, all of a sudden just poof, they start coming back. And that's happening on a lot of my spots, especially my Nashville stuff right now, where it's like, I thought these deer were gone, and I'm seeing deer that I hadn't seen now showing back up for the first time since September. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of goes back to, well, Mm -hmm. Spartan Forge, you know, they used radio collared deer, and that's how Bill built that deer prediction model. Uh, I would be, and we're... I mentioned this to him, i think I think you might have been on the conversation, but like we've actually legitimately talked about uh, through auburn or or some university like tagging a deer in a, in an urban environment and being able to actually watch how far they go, their travel routes because we're getting like cookie crumbs, just breadcrumbs of like where these deer go you know i'd be I'd be super curious to look at that GPS
0: data that bill does have and look at when those bucks or really any of the year, but pinpoint it down to the mature bucks and look at when they change that summer pattern Yeah, and like completely abandon that area and how far they typically go. And then like when they come back, I'd also like to look at it from year to year. If he has these bucks collared for multiple years and see like how it changes. Yeah. Like when that changes, how close, um, like what day range does that change happen from year to year? like, because uh, I would be willing to bet that it's within a 48 to 72 hour period. Yeah. Every year that they change that pattern.
1: I mean, dude, there's there's been multiple times where you know, I've been aware, maybe I knew where the deer summer range was, maybe I didn't, but the place I was hunting him, sometimes it will almost be to the day that they'll show back up like if like for example, if I'm not seeing him in the summertime, at all. Mm -hmm. Like, like Bain, when the the area that we ended up killing him at, it was like clockwork almost to the day within a, you know, 24, 48 hour period that he would show back up in that area in October. And like, to me, it, it amazes me how consistent sometimes they can be with that timing and they have no calendar in their head. It's just like, I don't know how that works in an animal like that. But that in a 365 day span, that sometimes they can literally show back up within a couple of days, like year after year mm-hmm. after year. I I have no idea, you know, why that is, how that is. Yeah, it's it's wild. It, what's also
0: crazy is like how quickly they can adapt to changes in the the hunting season. So like the Tennessee Velvet season that kind of came in. Well, it's probably been like four or five years now, but. Mm-hmm how quickly those deer caught on to that earlier season it was i mean i think it was basically like with it after that first season that they allowed that yeah the deer were already onto it and they're already changing their patterns earlier yeah that's wild but it's,
1: it does seem like those deer do change their patterns now prior previous to that opening weekend yeah they, which they typically definitely did this
0: past year for yeah. me
1: it's so. wild um
0: well let's get into the buck that you just killed what would you what was his name did he have a name
1: no i didn't i didn't have a name for him um i saw someone comment it was either on my instagram or the on instagram saying i think it was a on instagram saying uh called the deer kickstand because he (laughs) had that little drop time yeah and i was like that sounds like a perfect name but no I i didn't have a name for him um he was a deer that uh i've had pretty much no history with at all it was a new spot um and so, yeah, no, to answer your question, no, I did not, not have a name, but uh, it seems like kickstand's fitting because of the little drop ton he had. Kickstand it is. So, Tennessee has been really tough this year. Um, I think I've hunted, like, five different bucks um, in probably four different places. And it it, it just, like, I mean... Deer just, just vanishing, just you know, traveling, going elsewhere, and I was, I was just missing them, just missing. Like, I had uh, two bucks that were showing up um, at the, you know, what place um, that I hunted with. I don't know how to describe that area to you without dis- saying thing. The two hundred. No, 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 the other area. Oh. <clears throat> kind of where oh, I. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So there was two bucks in there that w- that that I would have that were mature and. It's like late October came in; those bucks were in there tearing that place apart. And it was like by the time I had gotten there, um, they had already changed their patterns to go, you know, I guess go find does, find does, find does. Um, and so I, you know, I hunted those couple bucks in that area for a couple weeks. I hunted the 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 big, you know, one ninety ish deer. Uh, he showed up that one day, perfect daylight in my food plot under my mock scrape, and then I have not seen him since. That's been a month now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was juggling between those places a lot. And so, um, I kind of went back up there and I was like, I, I've got to not, I've got to get some, something else going. Like, it's just, it's not happening in the places that I was certain it would have happened at some point during the season. I, I've got to, I've got to get something popping. I got to get it rolling. got to, got to open up new doors, just get into a new area, fresh start. Um, and I went to an area where I knew there was good deer, um, had filmed some deer and some bean fields in that area, uh, this summer before that. And, um, uh, got this spot. It was, it's probably 40 acres total, but the, the little section I was hunting was maybe like five acres. Uh, it was basically just like a, a hardwood bottom. It's just a, just flat, flat spot right next to a river. And, um, put a camera in there on a uh existing scrape freshen it up and overnight had a buck show up in there which was the kickstand deer uh, there was another buck in there that showed up maybe you know several days later uh, that was another nice shooter but um is he still there yeah he's still there and uh, you gonna
0: go back and try to kill him
1: no i I don't think so i I think I would like to leave that area be and if that deer's in there next year. We'll go after him next year, but he's, he's not in there. I haven't seen him in, in a week or so. Um, but I, I don't want to overdo it in that area. Um, I just kind of want to leave it be. And I'm hoping that some of these other deer do end up showing back up at some of these places. I had them in September as, as we get into that later season. Um, so the, the biggest thing for that deer, like I hunted him, I think I hunted him a week straight previous to thanksgiving and it was it was just turning on the rut was just turning on in tennessee at that time uh tennessee seems to have like a later rut like their rut seems to kick off really around thanksgiving and kind of after as to where georgia i don't know if you'd agree it seems like it's the teens like uh yeah i mean i would would say
0: like first cold front in november is when it really kicks off so it could be as early as the first week yep through the for second, sure. Second and third week.
1: What I learned is that it's definitely later in Tennessee, at least in that area that I'm at. Um, cause it was just, I mean, it's just dead. And then as I hunted there seven days, it was progressing and getting better. I was seeing more chasing and things like that. Uh, I had this deer, uh, come in on me and he was, he was like 50 yards. I mean, he was in shooting range, but he was just across a property line. And I had to sit there and kind of watch that deer. Like I, I couldn't even, I didn't even pick up my bow. Couldn't shoot him. I had a clear marking, like a clear line where I knew the property line, my property started. And he wasn't even close to it. So, I mean, I, I, I snort wheezed at him. I rattled. I grunted. Like I tried to get him to come back my direction. But there was two does that went under this underpass going underneath the highway. And he followed them underneath the highway hmm. and left that little area. So Um, you know, hunted that, hunted it for several more days, no other encounters, um, left for Thanksgiving, you know, had some family and stuff like that. I go back and, um, it had kind of been dead in there. My camera really kind of wasn't showing much, but then, uh, that last week, like right after Thanksgiving, it, it was lighting up in there. I mean, there was tons of deer activity. He was showing up. There was another buck that was showing up. They were pounding the scrape. And two things that were really important on this at this spot where it was my access. <clears throat> if you're going to hunt a place repeatedly and you kind of touched on this earlier that you feel like you've compromised that, but that buck has potentially like figured you out that place and you got to yeah. change it up. Yep. I think that if your access and your wind is good, you can hunt a place over and over and over and over again. And as long as your presence is not being felt on those deer, I think you can keep hunting, keep hunting, keep hunting, uh but your first sit's always your best sit if you're pressuring those deer and they're winding you and they're catching you coming in, like you're damaging that area pretty heavily um and so my access in there I had two ways to access, and it was it was really important um you know, depending on which way my wind was going. I was either kayaking in from a river uh or I was hugging a highway walking down and tucking right into where my stand was. Uh, the highway noise was great. Cause it was covering my sound walking in. I mean, they didn't hear me at all unless I walked, you know, right, right by them and they saw me, like they were not hearing me getting in. Um, and the kayak deal was, I mean, you're slipping in from the water, you're coming up that embankment and you're just slipping right into your stand. I mean, it's both of them were very sneaky So depending on which way the wind was, it it gave me kind of two options to work with of like how to get in without boogering deer. Um, And so, uh, you know, after Thanksgiving, get back in there and um, I think I sat, well, the first night I got there, I was like, I'm just going to freshen up the scrape. I got some other cameras to check. The evenings hadn't been great in there anyways. And of course he shows up right in front of my stand that night and I was like, I was not happy, but kept hunting. Um, and then, you know, hunted a couple more days. And the last morning that I was like, I got to leave, I got to go back in town. Um, I had a hard, like I have to leave town at like 10 o'clock. I had stuff I had to do back home. And of course my last sit deer comes in at like, I think the shot was at like seven o'clock. And so I knew that I probably would not be making it home, uh, in time, but <clears throat> this this kind of brings up <clears throat> an entire new conversation um, about self-filming, um, you know, being real, like being real with hunting and showing real experiences. Like it's not always a perfect experience. Um, it never really happens the way you pictured it or imagined it. And I had pictured this deer, like most of my, the vast majority of my activity was on the left side of my tree. So I had my camera on the left side, film on the left side. Um, that's where I was totally ready to film and shoot at that deer. Well, and you're hunting out of a a saddle. I'm hunting out of a lock on Okay, at at this place. Um, and I was like really, really, really high in this tree because covers limited, um, And there was a hill behind me, so like I needed to get high enough where deer coming off that hill, where you know I wasn't eye level with them. Um, and so the deer comes from my right, and he's chasing does, like moving around. I mean, he he doe came running out, he came running in after her. She goes running back into the woods, he goes running back in the woods, and I'm like about to come apart at this point. Like I I I saw I was like that's it's him, it's him and I'm like, I have my camera on the left side. I'm trying to swing the camera, like b- arm behind my back to get, like try and get it angled on the right side of my body and tree. And then trying to film the deer while trying to grab my bow, trying to range the deer, trying to get my adjust my pin adjusted while keeping the deer in frame and have enough time to clip in, draw, get the right shot, get him on frame and kill that deer. Like while he's on does and stuff like it was, mm-hmm. it was chaotic. <clears throat>
0: Yeah, the self-filming definitely adds another dynamic to it. makes it way more difficult once that deer's kind of within shooting range. For sure. I mean, it's hard enough being filmed. It's hard enough when you're not filming at all and you're trying to range the deer and stop him in a shooting lane, know the range, know which pin to shoot without spooking anything else around you. But when you add the element of moving a camera around, having to adjust focus and zoom manually with the lens because we're using like mirrorless cameras yep. with like separate lenses. We're not using a camcorder. It's, I mean, you have to leave your bow hanging on the hook until you're ready to shoot. Yeah.
1: I think it, I think it increases like your movement probably five times. Oh, what is what it should be?
0: 10 times probably.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, it's a lot like it. <clears throat> and, and, and cry me a river. Like, right. You know, like we choose to do this. Like we, we choose to film, we choose to self film at times. And, um, that's part of it. Like we're signing up for that. So we, we know that. And to us, it's worth it. We love sharing those stories yeah. and like, you know,
0: well, another part of it too is, um, once you finally do have the deer in your shooting lane in frame, you feel like you have to rush a shot. Yes. Because and that's what happened because he could be, he could, you know, walk out of the frame and then you have to let your bow back down, hang it up, move the camera. Yeah. And I've missed deer self-filming because of that because i'm like all right he's there i'm just i just gotta shoot i got one yeah maryland one i missed mr sparkles last year for the same reason yeah Um,
1: it's like with
0: a camera guy
1: not having to worry about the camera stuff it allows you to focus on killing that deer um but the self-filming thing like it it just adds so much to it and it does um you know, we've done it successfully, obviously. Like I would say a, a ton of our hunts are self-filmed and we've done it successfully. But in this situation, when, you know, there's a buck on does, there's a lot of movement. It was chaos trying to get the deer in the frame, get the shot off, have everything right. And I, I rushed my shot. Um, and I hit if I was ground level with the deer or lower in a stand, it would have, it would have heart shot him, but I was really high up and I hit three inches lower than I should have to go through his heart. And it was just a rush deal. Like I was really, really disappointed in myself. Uh, after the fact of being like, I rushed the shot. I didn't hit the deer where I wanted to. I was, I was just so disappointed in myself because I've had like a, a fairly clean record the last couple of years, um, with killing deer clean. I mean, I think I've killed 25 deer in the last, maybe more than that now in the last couple of years, just including does and mm. a lot of does. Um, and it's, it's all gone for the most part, like really good. Like I've been really confident in my shooting and, that, and that's been great. But, uh, if you hunt long enough, especially if you bow hunt long enough, like this situation will 100% happen to you sooner or later. I don't care how good you are. Like there's going to be a time if you bow hunt long enough where you hit an animal and it's two inches off from where you wanted to. And now you have this situation in front of you. Um, And that's kind of what happened to me. And And I hope that being real and telling this story, like that there are takeaways for people listening Um, dude, I've talked to probably 20 different friends this year that have shot deer with a bow, haven't found them or, um, you know, wasn't a great shot, found them the next day, later, you know, this, that, and the other, like, or the deer shows back up on camera. Um, and so like, it's a real life situation. It happens to bow hunters. Um, and Drew and I choose to be as real with you guys as possible. Like, I think that's really important. Um, I don't feel like most shows would, um, you know, do that, I guess all the time. You'd see the
0: first shot and then next scene as you walking up on the deer and be like, Oh, there he is.
1: Went right. 20 yards. (laughs) Yeah. When that's just not really what happened. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what happened with this deer was after my first shot, I hit low He ran to, like, 35 yards, and and, uh, I was always, like, years back, Jay told me this, but it's like, after your initial shot, if you get any opportunity for a second shot opportunity at that deer, you take it, even if it's not, like, the perfect ideal shot, like, you need to get another arrow in that animal and do your absolute best to finish him off, and so he was... He ran to like 35 yards. He's facing dead away from me. And I'm sitting there ready. I'd already ranged him. I'm sitting there, you know, waiting for him to give me he's he's just standing there. So I'm hoping he gives me some some sort of better vantage point to try and get into his vitals. And he steps left and gives me a hard quarter to way. And you know, I think he was going to continue to walk off so he gave me that hard quarter away. I put it in him behind his back rib, um, and it went up into – I think it went through gut, and I think it – looking at it after the fact, I think it went into liver. I was hoping, watching the shot back, that it hit hit back of opposite lung. Yeah, I was. I was shocked
0: after you sent me – I mean, you just recorded the – camera screen with your phone and sent me the video but it looked like you crushed him on that second shot Mm -hmm. like obviously that the entry was really far back but I mean he was almost dead facing away yeah and I thought that your arrow went through either through his heart or really close to it at least catching like a full lung and buried up in his opposite shoulder yeah so when you said he was still alive
1: after that shot after waiting for several hours I was pretty surprised and yeah and and I like watching the footage back too that was kind of my, what I was thinking and hoping was that like, I really hope I caught that back long, you know, going through gut, through liver, into lung, like that deer would be dead as a hammer. But I knew with that shot, even if that wasn't the case, like that's a dead deer. Like he will die from that arrow, whether it's, you know, he runs and piles up or if it's, you know, you got to treat it like the, you know, 24 hours later, let 16 hours go by, whatever that number is that you go and, give that deer time to die, but 100% fatal shot. And so after that hit, um, I sat and I sat there and glassed with my binoculars and I saw him at probably like 120 yards, 140 yards. And he just was kind of like stood there and slowly walked um, and then walked into some privet right up along this river And I sat in my stand, uh, or in that area for like an hour and I just didn't leave. I just like kept watching, kept glassing, watching, 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 making sure that if he left that area that I would see it and be aware of what he's doing. And so sat there for like an hour, he didn't come out of there. And so I left and gave the deer like six more hours. And you know, when we went back in there, I was super hopeful the deer was already dead based on that second shot. Um, but, I, but I was also very aware that he very well could not be. And so we go to start tracking. And, you know, when you're tracking a deer like that and you have the room to do it, always bring your bow, track really, really slow. And, I mean, we were going 10 feet, binoculars looking around, 10 feet, you know, looking, looking, 10 feet, 10 feet, really, really slow, really, really slow. And we get over to this area where he's at or where I thought I had seen him at. And we're looking like we're not, we're not seeing blood. We're not, you know, we we're creeping, creeping, creeping. We kind of walked this area out where I thought he would be. Didn't see him. And we walked the two exit points where they leave from this property. Found no blood, no signs of nothing. And I was like, he's got to still be in here. So we kind of backtrack, and we stayed on the high side. Uh, above this river, there's like river and then there's like a ledge, like a ditch from the river. Then it rises up to this ledge. Um, we had walked the top part of that ledge and I I told Slate, I said, I'm going to get in the kayak. I, I felt like there was a lot of ground we didn't see from the, the route we took. <clears throat> and I said, I'm going to get in the kayak. I'm going to start paddling upstream, see if he's laying dead in the river or kind of below this ledge that we can't really see from just walking on the top of it. And so I started paddling up river. I'm paddling, 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 paddling. And I just like catch the slightest glimpse of movement to my left. And I saw Deer's body. Immediately knew it was him. And I stopped paddling and just let the current drift me back. Was
0: he up on the bank or was he like down? He was down on the river.
1: He was was probably halfway in between the river and the top ledge. Uh, uh, Kind of just like on a low spot. And 100%, if we would have left that deer there and come back like the next day, he'd be laying right there, dead. Um, But again, any chance, any opportunity where you feel like you can finish that deer, you take it and you do it. Mm -hmm. So I let the current drift me back. I go grab my bow. I had to put my orange back on again because we're now hunting. And we creep up and we probably get to like seven yards and we're seeing blood all on the ground and stuff. And so I see his tips, tips of his, his antlers. He's looking clearly very aware of us. And I come to full draw and I I pop up and he sees us takes off running. And I, and I got a third shot in him shooting through some brush at probably 12 yards, 15 yards. Uh, and it went through his heart and he ran, you know, 20 yards and, and fell over. And I was really torn. Like part of me was really, really happy that it was over and we got him. But part of me was also really sad, really disappointed. Like I hate when that scenario happens when you've put a shot, a not ideal shot on a deer and you have to kind of go through that process. But I think that being able to show those real life situations that happen, hopefully people, hopefully there's takeaways where, when when that happens to somebody that they can kind of learn how to approach that situation to mm. hopefully at the end of the day end up with the deer
0: yeah i mean i, I i'm pretty confident in saying that if you ha- haven't had the experience of going through that before or like having jay go through it and kind of relay his um knowledge that he's gained in that experience like you probably would not have that deer in your hands right now?
1: No, absolutely Because
0: not. if you had not taken the second shot, that deer could have run run for miles and you never find him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe he dies, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. <clears throat> so you knew that you had to get that second arrow on him as soon as possible. And then if you had just been like, if, if you were just satisfied with that second shot and been like, all right, yeah, he's dead. Like, let's go in there and get him. You barge in there without your bow. You spook him again. Gut shot deer runs for miles again most likely after he gets up that second time like you are not going to find that deer
1: i think your odds of finding that deer when you jump him out of his bed like that drops significantly yeah and i think that
0: without that experience most people are going to just go barging in there and looking for him and hoping that they just stumble across him right without their bow and with with probably a bunch of people and being loud and Mm so Yeah. I mean, obviously the goal is always to kill the deer as quick as possible and we don't want these deer to suffer.
1: Um, but sometimes that stuff happens. Yeah. Like I I don't care how good of an archer you are or how many times like you've, how many deer you have under your belt. Like there's going to be situations that happen like this. It just, it Mm -hmm. just happens. It's a part of bow hunting. If you hunt bow hunt long enough, it will happen. And when you learn how to approach those situations the right way, um, you know, it increases your odds significantly of taking, of ending up with that animal. Cause the the last thing we ever want is for a deer to not be found and just kind of go to waste and rot. Yeah. So, um, I think, I think that like people have shied away from showing that stuff, but I think that it's not reality. And I think there's like, I, I think that we can do a better job of like, you know, if, if that situation hadn't happened, um, the fact that it did happen and we show it the way that it happened, like, i really believe people will learn from that. I'm guarantee you a lot of the people that are watching or listening already know the things we're talking about, Yeah, but I'm sure there's a bunch that haven't gone through that yet. And, or there's, there's anti
0: hunters that see the video and they're like, Oh how disgusting! Like you wounded the deer and he suffered for six hours, and then you had to shoot him two more times. Like, if if you're explaining how much you care about the deer and how much how important it is to you that that deer dies quickly and as painless as possible, and you show the emotion and show that like you are torn after that happened, and that there's like remorse there that you you didn't do everything perfectly, which is impossible to do every time. Like then that person's like, oh okay, well maybe hunters aren't just barbaric and they're just slinging arrows and they just, they're in it for the kill. Yeah. Like they see that like sensitive side and like the, the caring side for the animal. Like we don't want the animals to suffer. That's not our goal here.
1: Right. I saw something. <clears throat> I'm probably going to butcher this pretty bad, but I saw it on, uh, uh, Yellowstone and the main guy, I I don't watch Yellowstone. Do you watch Yellowstone? No, but I think I know what you're going to say. Really?
0: Was it talking about like vegans or whatever? Yes. How they like growing crops kills way more animals than hunting does.
1: Right. And the main guy, Kevin Costner, I I don't watch it enough, but I was watching it with like So he
0: was actually quoting Joe Rogan in that apparently.
1: Really? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So yeah, I mean, but the, you could probably say it way better than I can, but it was like his point was, you know, to be vegan you know, you go through this process of farming that kills thousands of bugs and earthworms and little, you know, small rodents and things like that. And it's like, where's the line drawn of like what certain animal life is important to you and which yeah. it's not. Yeah. Like, where's the line? Yeah. Because clearly all these, you know, little rodents and birds and earthworms and, and insects, like their lives to grow that crop. It didn't matter. They're all dead. But like, you know, is it a squirrel? Is it a rabbit? Like, which, you know where do you draw the line of what mat- what life matters to that person and not? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was kind of a cool thing, but like, I mean, my, I guess my point is like, I understand the, the thinking, the thought process of people being like, well, why would you show that? And I think there are certain hunting experiences that happen that would probably be left not shown. Yeah. Um, but I think when it's done correctly, it's explained and like you said, it's showing the emotion like of the you know, the care for that animal. I think it would be different if I had gone through that experience and at the end of it I was just like, you know, hell yeah, like, you know, just you know, just kinda acting like there was no remorse in me whatsoever that I was that I was not disappointed in myself previous and putting that animal through that. I feel like if, if there was no side of me that was disappointed, sad, that that had happened, I feel like that's, that gives a total different notion to a non hunter who is watching and they see the remorse. They see the sadness, the disappointment that it wasn't a quick, clean kill. Um, I think that gives a total different feel vibe. Look, um, you know to to showing that experience to somebody who doesn't ne- necessarily understand hunting. Um but I do think there are you know certain things that are are best left not shown. Yeah. Um I can think of a couple. <laughs> I yeah, I just <laughs> that that has happened to us hog hunting stuff like that, but yeah, I mean I I think
0: there are things that are best left unshown. And I I'm not like if so, if someone has a hunting show and they don't want to show certain things totally like, their choice yeah like i'm i don't think it's wrong not to show you know the second and the third shot or the suffering if that's like what you want to do what i think is is not right is for someone to say like why the heck did you show that like what like you're just ruining hunting for everybody by like giving them ammunition it's like well we're not a eh? and you do what you want to do with your show you can show you can show it how you want to and we'll show what's real and what actually happened we're going to do our best to kind of explain
1: and educate yeah i mean you know being able to go through that process and have people see it, like they're going to learn from it when they go through it so there's a there's a to me yes i was disappointed in how that went down but i think it was a huge opportunity for an education piece where people can kind of take take something away from it um that maybe they don't get to, you know, necessarily see, um, you know, watching a hunting video that's out there. So,
0: yep. So moving
1: on from that, what are the,
0: what are some like main takeaways from the actual hunt?
1: Um, to me, a main takeaway was like, don't get bogged down in, I guess for our style of hunting in particular, like I was certain that I was going to have success at these two places that I've been hunting up there certain about it. And I could have sat there for just kept hunting, kept hunting the same places and stayed complacent and not had success. I went out and got a new spot and it just opened up this whole new opportunity. Um, so don't get tunnel vision. Don't get tunnel vision. You got it. And it's tough because like I had these deer that I had my heart set on where I'm like, I've put so much time into these other deer I'm hunting I don't even want to go hunt, hunt another deer. Like I don't, it's, it was a difficult thing to kind of walk away from those other deer I'd spent so much time on to now try and hunt another deer. Um, but again, like don't get tunnel vision, like you said. And so kind of searching for that next stone to unturn, keep looking, keep looking. And I happened to stumble into the right place at the right time where there was a lot of does in here and these, these bucks were on a rotation. They were on a, I'd probably say a two to probably a three day rotation where they'd come in and check this almost, it's like a pooling area almost down there. And there was does that were constantly hanging out in there. And I think these bucks were on like a three day rotation where they'd come in, check these does, and then they'd be out and about going to check somewhere else because that buck I killed, he was three miles away the night before. And, I know that because a friend of ours saw the deer, took a picture and it was, he sent me the pin where it was literally three miles away. I was not expecting to see that deer the next morning. Um, but he was in there and these deer, I mean, they travel like crazy. So first takeaway is like, like you said, don't get tunnel vision, you know, trying, if it's not happening in your places, like, you know, keep looking for that next place that can open up that, that new opportunity. Um, I think, oh, this is um, this is something too that I also learned is like Tennessee is has a lot of different forages than Georgia. I mean, a lot of the similar, a lot of the same, but but also different. Uh, there was they were obviously late season, like all the acorns are gone right now. Um, there was privet in there that they were feeding. We obviously know they'd love privet late season, but there was this other uh, kind of like a poly. It was a very green leaf it had red berries on it. Mm. Um <clears throat> I actually texted Catman. Let me see what he said it was. Uh but they were pounding this stuff. He said it's bush honeysuckle. Is what it Yeah, was. I was going to say it, honeysuckle. Um I learned they were they were pounding it cuz I cut a couple shooting limbs like lanes these deer the next morning when I was in there hunting when they were walking by sat there and ate about every leaf off of it and just crushed it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what I was doing was like, you know, I would go in there with a machete and cut some limbs. Like, I mean, it's it's literally the same concept as if you have standing corn, you cut some corn stalks down and those deer come in and feed on it. Like, you know, people leave standing corn late season. They cut it, those deer feed on it, like Mm -hmm. cutting some limbs like that, just, you know, kind of every now and then. And it was, it was open up some more shooting lanes and stuff for me. Uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to cut a ton at a time and change too much in there, but, you know, as I was opening up these shooting lanes a little bit more, I would specifically cut this, that honeysuckle, what was it, bush honeysuckle? Yeah. And these deer were just, these does were just hammering it. Um, Do you think, I wonder if they were like
0: thinking, wow, how
1: convenient this Every time yeah. I come back, there's, there's, a, more, new yeah, there's a new branch <laughs> on
0: the ground for me.
1: But honestly, like seriously, that is why I killed that buck because the two, there were two does that were hanging by a branch I'd cut and they were just feeding on this, this, that fresh bush honeysuckle. And it, it held them there. It held those deer long enough. Those two does there long enough for that buck to work his way into me and get on those does. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't cut that branch, uh, I don't, I don't think I would have had a chance at that deer. So that's something I've never done before. That was kind of a new, just paying attention to my surroundings thing that I picked up on. Yeah. I've done that
0: on, on accident before, just like like you said, cutting shooting lanes mm-hmm. and just, I mean, dropping like a, a birch tree or something like that, just like a sapling. Yep. And all of, they start just like
1: vacuuming the leaves off the yep. top of the tree yep.
0: when they're still green.
1: Uh, so that was a takeaway. And then I. I I already knew this going in, but like the access, it just, it just kind of drove it home to me. Like the access yeah. is everything you, when you have a new piece of property, you need to constantly be evaluating how to go about the access. How can you be the sneakiest you can possibly be with your access? Cause these deer are constantly trying to figure you out.
0: Yeah. And having the tools to be able to access like you did. The kayak. So, yeah. Having the kayak ahead of time. Cause
1: you never know when you're going to find yourself in that situation so it was a new, so it was a the new canoe but it was the flint so which is their smaller yeah. version <laughs> me this buck and slade were on that we had two dudes and this uh, other buck on this little tiny kayak yeah, you were
0: like underwater <laughs> yeah.
1: The, yeah so i saw you had the the flint if you
0: had the um the frontier or the the pursuit i think is the or not the pursuit what's the new one called there's a new one that's like a mix between the frontier and the pursuit, but like you could probably put like three people and a bucket. in 100%. that thing. No and problem. be totally fine. <laughs> yeah.
1: But the, yeah, I mean, that, that would have been ideal, but most of the time I was hunting by myself. I was just bebopping across and like, I wanted that kind of more tactical kayak. Uh, and honestly, where we ended up killing this deer, we would have had to drug him out a, so far, but we were just like drug him right down to the river bank, threw him on the kayak, zipped on down. And loaded him out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty ideal.
0: You need that electric motor that I had early season in Nashville. I think it's crazy. Yeah, I think sweet. I <laughs> think gets that kayak up on plane. <laughs> but, anyways, well, pretty solid, uh, solid buck for Tennessee. That's for yeah. sure. I'm really, what, I'm really happy.
1: With, no, I didn't. I didn't score him. I, I think he's between one mid fifties, yeah. I think. Um really good deer. I'm really happy with him. And uh got a little drop time on him. Little, that's the first drop time buck I've ever killed. Never killed Is a deer. It? Really? Yeah. No. Never killed one with a drop time. So
0: seems like there's a lot more drop time bucks up there yeah. than there are back home. It's a
1: very rare thing here. Yeah. But yeah, I was super excited with him. Um it was a cool experience. I, I liked the the paddling, the kayaking, the you know having more there uh, to that hunt as opposed to like slipping in and out of yeah, I wanna, places or whatever. I really want to line up a, like a float
0: trip hunt for next year. Yeah. And I've got a couple rivers in mind um, that I, I've got some buddies that I've done that on and they've killed some really big bucks doing it, mm-hmm. but just taking a kayak and getting into these spots that other people can literally, they you can't get to it unless you're in a kayak yeah because you have, you have to cross shoals and they're on islands like out in, like the Mississippi river and stuff in Arkansas river mm-hmm. and it's public land, but like these spots are pretty much unhunted because people don't spend the time to access them.
1: Right. But, but I would you, love
0: to do like a whole. Accessing from like the that. water
1: is so sneaky. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is so sneaky. So yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a good tool to have for sure. Using a kayak. Yeah. But well, anyways. I think uh, y'all let us know
0: if you enjoy these type of podcasts. I mean, just kind of doing the recap on the hunts. I think there's a lot of, opportunity to talk about learning moments um for sure this was the first one but i think we can kind of continue to tweak them and i guess talk about the right things ask the right questions to uh kind of pull some more information out because i mean you and i talk about this stuff all the time and we we've had the knowledge for a long time so there's probably stuff that we just kind of gloss over and not realize that there's a lot of sustenance there right that we can talk about um but hopefully we have another one to uh to talk about here soon you're closing in he's there he's there he's just got to slip up and i gotta make a i gotta make a move i'm gonna i'm gonna move my stand tomorrow after the hunt or before after yeah i'm gonna hunt the morning and then change him in the morning (laughs) well (laughs) i had so lee and i went and worked out today and then i didn't have time to change to shower before i went and hunted i had some does spooking today Uh, oh really yeah the wind kept swirling on me and i i've lost all my cover in that tree and they just, they've, like, every time they walk under me, they, they start to look up more. Like, yeah. the first couple hunts, they, like, would look up for a split second and then keep moving on. And now they're, like, I've had a couple blow at me. Yeah. So, I think it's time to move. Changed up on them. Yep.
1: But, anyways. Cool. Short, sweet podcast.
0: We'll see you next time.
1: Bye.